when I think about a brand, it's, it is perception mostly, you know, and it is how people think and feel about you and perceive your product um, in, in their everyday life. And it's sort of like what comes to mind when, when someone mentions uh, the name of your business, you know, Mm -hmm. like if someone says, Starbucks versus Dunkin Donuts I think of two different things and I like both of those places but I think about them very differently I perceive them very differently and a lot of that is because of how they've branded themselves absolutely hello and welcome to wind down build up the podcast that's giving you the tea and the tools to succeed in business. I'm Tabitha Solomon. And I'm KJ Miller. Today on the show, we're discussing how to build a winning brand from the ground up. Yes, I'm super excited about this one because I think when people think brand, they just immediately go to like, what's the logo going to look like? What's the font and typography? But building a winning brand really starts uh, at a much higher level strategic thinking. And then you get to get into that that fun, creative piece of things. So I'm excited to talk about that. Yeah, me too. I think, you know, brand has come to mean so many different things. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's so important. It's, it's what people think of when they think of your product, when they think about how to access you, when they think about whether to share about you with their friends. So I think this is an important topic and I am excited to dive in. Um, but before we do, want to encourage you guys to pause right now and follow us if you're listening on Spotify. And also, if you're listening on Apple, leave us a five-star review. It goes a long way to helping us keep doing what we love doing. Great. So time for our tea portion of today's conversation. And if you can believe it, after nine months of us essentially being shut down as a global economy, the first vaccine was administered in the U.S. yesterday. So it's really exciting. Yeah. (laughs) Super exciting. We're, We're finally here. I don't know if you saw the footage of like the FedEx drivers driving the trucks and people in the streets <laughs> clapping while they drove the trucks of the vaccines away from the Pfizer headquarters. But I mean, it's, it's, I think people are saying this is the beginning of the end of the pandemic. And I think that's an apt way to put it. There's still a long way to go, but it is the beginning of the end and worth talking about for two. Absolutely. Now, a couple of things I think is interesting is one is who the first person was that actually sat on live television and got the injection of the vaccine, which was a black woman. Actually, a blackity black woman. woman. (laughs) Once again, black women out here. Okay. Saving the rest of humanity. (laughs) Okay, Jay. I'm super proud because her name is Sandra Lindsay and she's actually Haitian American, similar to myself. So I like to say that, hey, you know, immigrants, we like to step up and, you know, make sure that we're doing our part for the entire society. Yes. Well, not only that, I mean, immigrants get the job done, as we all know, and the vaccine was invented by an immigrant. Okay, so uh, we all just need a shout out 
immigrants right now because I mean truly black women and immigrants are the only ones out here doing any work yes. as far as I can tell <laughs> <laughs> well then the question is for us um, how long do you think it'll take before the vaccines widely um, accepted and administered and then we are able to go back to some semblance of normalcy obviously a lot of businesses have been put on hold waiting for the vaccine to come out and I think we're all kind of holding our breath like trying to understand when can we go on that trip you know that we've been wanting to go on or when can we go back to restaurants or where can we do fill in the blank um and i think the people listening to this podcast who own businesses that's one of the million dollar questions right now yeah i i mean there are a lot of experts giving sort of like vague timelines and as we said in another podcast episode you never want to tie yourself down to like a specific date if you don't have to or a specific mm-hmm. number if you don't have to so I think what I'm hearing and and seems reasonable to me just based on the math um, is that we should be approaching herd immunity which means 70 percent um, of the population vaccinated we should be approaching herd immunity come summertime mm-hmm. now whether that's early summer like june or late summer like august I-, I don't know but that's certainly something i've heard that i'm sort of clinging to with hope yeah <laughs> yeah i love that and i think that if you're a business owner just having those timelines in mind thinking about how consumers behaviors are going to change Um, Because I I don't think that we're going back to pre-COVID behaviors. I think we're going to have new behaviors. Um, And I also think that we are going to see rushes in some categories. So, for instance, I think that there's going to be a ton of people just trying to get to travel and see their friends and things of that sort. Um, But then I'll go back to normalcy. And I think there's going to be some things like remote work that will look very different. Uh, For instance, Google just announced... um, that instead of them going back to a normal, everyone comes back to the office, they're actually toying with this idea of having flex offices permanently. And now the workforce is advocating for permanent remote workforce. I don't know if they'll go for that, but that is a major shift for an organization that has 300,000 employees. So just thinking yeah. about, you know, if you own a startup or a company, or you lead a team, what will this new era look like? hundred percent. I, um, Amanda and I talk about this, um, all the time. What do we think the new normal will be? And for sure, it's going to involve a lot more remote work for us. And I'm, I'm really grateful because I'm kind of patient X in terms of having a baby fermented, Mm -hmm. like none of our other employees have done that yet. Right. Um, and I'm honestly grateful because now I'm going to be going into a setting where there isn't an expectation that I'm working from the office five days a week and but it's not just going to be like oh because you're CEO you don't have to come in it's like no that's that's the office policy right no one has to come in five days a week no one's tied to their desk no one's chained to the office um and I think we're going to see a lot of companies making similar decisions I agree because I think pre-COVID so many teams managers companies would say oh you're just less productive at home so we, we won't allow you to work from home um, or a lot of industries who was very slow to adopting technology, a lot of the objections that were once held have been de- debunked. And so we're seeing, you know, productivity, you know, remain high in some places, increasing. 
Um, and perhaps some adjustments are, need to be in place. Like you mentioned, perhaps a flex situation. If, you know, your team doesn't want to work 100% remotely, there's alternatives. But this idea that you can't work remotely anymore is completely a lie. And I think we've proved that during this era. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm happy that we are at the beginning of the end. Yay! I hope people act responsibly. People take this vaccine. We actually talked on my team about like, how people were feeling about the vaccine because there is some skepticism there is some concern you know because it, it did come about so quickly right. um and you know black people in this country have a whole lot of reasons to be skeptical of government-run science programs so um you know i think there is some there's some fear not just among black americans but i think among a fair number of people but ultimately what everyone on my team said was Look, we don't want to be the first necessarily. So again, shout out to Sandra Lindsay out here um, for being the first, but we all, we're, we're going to take the vaccine. Yeah. And you know, the thing about it is like, I, you see um, former presidents Bush, Clinton, and Obama who said they're going to take it, you know, this first wave to kind of uh, quell some of the concerns about the vaccine. And they're going to do that very publicly. Uh, but Donald Trump actually came out and said, I decided I'm going to wait. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna wait for you guys to be guinea pigs, and once I find out if it's kosher, then I'm gonna, I'll then consider taking it. Which I was like, wait, what? <laughs> so that oh was like God. the most recent tweet. Not to turn this into a political conversation, but yeah, I think you know it's one of those things where I don't want to be the first, but I know that is also like my American duty to take it. So uh, if I am a carrier that doesn't have symptoms, I won't be passing, passing along to others. So I'm, I'm there with you. All right, let's talk about branding. Let's do it. <laughs> so before we talk about how to build a brand, let's first talk about what is a brand. So, I mean, I maybe I could jump off the yeah. conversation here, but for me, when I think about a brand, it's really how it makes me feel. You know, it's like what people are saying about me or about my company when I'm not in the room, right? Um, and it goes way beyond like what's the colors and the topography, right, of the brand. But it's like, um, how would they communicate how the product is used and who it's for and what problem it solves? So it's what all all those things that are shared about you, again, when you're not in the room and how it makes it feel, I think is how I would describe what a brand is. How about you? I think that's right. I think when I think about a brand, it's, it is perception mostly, you know, yeah. and it is how people think and feel about you and perceive your product um, in, in their everyday life. And it's sort of like what, comes to mind when when someone mentions uh the name of your business you know mm -hmm. like if someone says starbucks versus dunkin donuts i think of two different things and i like both of those places but i think about them very differently i perceive them very differently and a lot of that is because of how they've branded themselves absolutely so let's play a game real quick and listeners i want you to jump in on this game too I'm going to name two different brands and you're allowed to say it out loud. Like no one's going to be judging you if you're driving your car, walking down the street. But when we say these brands, what emotions does it evoke? So KJ, when I say Apple versus Microsoft, how do you feel? 
how do I feel about each one? Yes. When I think Apple, I think chic, expensive, innovative, and cool. And when I think Microsoft, I think workhorse, get it done, like I'm on the job. Okay. <laughs> when I say McDonald's versus Chick-fil-A. Ooh, okay. McDonald's, I think nostalgic, mm. happy meal, um, you know, best French fries. And Chick-fil-A, I used to only have great feelings about. Then their CEO came out as homophobic. And so now I've got mixed feelings. <laughs> but that's real. That is real, right? Because I think a lot of people uh, minimize what happens in the press with the team and how that changes your emotions to that brand. That is part of their brand now. You can't yep. decouple those things. Um, yep, it's true. And the last one is Party City versus Party Dash. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, when I think of Party City, I think huge, somewhat outdated, um, somewhat overwhelming party shopping experience uh and when i think party dash i think um curated well-designed um and easy party shopping experience amazing amazing so i think that as we talk about how to build a brand that emotion you want your target customer to feel is going to be threaded throughout this conversation so mm -hmm. with that let's jump into how to build a brand now if you can grab a piece of paper or a pen or open up the notes section of your phone this is one of those juicy episodes where we're planning on dropping gems left and right with actionable <laughs> tips and tricks things that we've both done to build our brands from the ground up and we really hope it'll be helpful absolutely all right. So the first thing in building a brand, and again, like I think a lot of people skip over this step. I just had an interview with the newspaper yesterday. And in the conversation, the reporter said to me, one thing I noticed about you, Tabitha, is you're constantly talking about how much conversations and research you're doing with your customers. I'm like, yeah, maybe it's my marketing background. But the first thing you have to do is research your target audience and your competitors. And that's a, like, that is a fundamental step in building a brand that I find that a lot of people actually don't do properly. Like, un yeah, go ahead, Katie. It looks like you're going to jump in there. Oh, yeah. I, well, I was just going to say I completely agree. This is the first step Amanda and I took when building Minted. It's the first step I talk about in my course, um, Startup Starter Kit. And like you said, a lot of people want to skip this step mm -hmm. because they're so excited about the exactly. idea. Exactly. You know, the They've got this big idea for this new type of, you know, potato chip or this new type of makeup or this new type of whatever. And they're so excited. But then it's like, okay, well, what do you know about the people you think are going to buy this thing? Yeah. You know, yes. like you're out here trying to launch this $30 potato chip. But the people who eat potato chips are used to spending $2 a bag. Mm -hmm. So help me make sense of this, mm -hmm. right? Like, how do you 
are you going after a whole new audience demographic? Have you done research and found that they're actually increasing how much money they're willing to spend on their snack foods? Are you, you know, like, tell me how you get to what research you've done that leads you to believe someone's going to want this thing. That's exactly right. So here's a hot tip coming at you guys. When we were doing our market research to both talk to our target audience and research our competitors, we actually created a spreadsheet where uh, start off with just Googling like, you know, um, modern party supplies, sustainable party supplies, convenient party supplies, and created a spreadsheet of all the companies that came up. And then we had criteria that we we're trying to compare ourselves against. Like, essentially like what is the price point on average for each one of these places like how many of these offer party boxes versus just one-off products how many of these are run by women women of color how many people how many of these um how many different SKUs or assortment do they have do they have modern design or is it cookie cutter so on and so on whatever you know your brand is thinking about what are those criterias um, so we really understand our competitors and what we would do is once we had a good understanding of who our competitors were, we would often go to their social media pages and he and see what people would say, the good, the bad and the ugly, you know, so it's like, are people saying like, oh, this is really solved my pain point or is it like, I really wish you guys would do this in a unicorn set or I really wish this was curated so I wasn't spending so much time trying to figure this out myself. Like, so we took all that intel and put it in again, we had a one major tracker. So this is like quick and easy stuff that you can do, right? But we also went out and interviewed people across the country. These were all like Zoom or Google Hangouts type of calls and would have 30, 45 minute conversations to go really deep about what were people's pain points. And the third piece we did is we wanted to be able to measure things. We actually had, we did a survey monkey, which is pretty affordable, honestly, if you just ask like a few questions and you're able to like input who is that target customer? So for us, we know it's women between the ages of 25 to 45. We know some uh, additional demographic things. And we sent that question wide out. So it went beyond just our immediate network to get quantifiable data to really understand what the problem is. Because if I'm trying to tell everyone that, oh, your problem is, you know, um, that you want orange plates. And you're telling me, and the parent, the, the parent or the customer saying it's actually convenience we're solving for, you know, there's going to, we don't want to, we want to make sure that there's not that gap there before we go out trying to brand ourselves as an orange plate company. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. That's, that's so smart. And, you know, one of the things Amanda and I did very first was we created a survey just in Google docs. So completely free. And then we posted it. We sent it to the email list we were on posted it on our Facebook pages, sent it to our alumni friends. I mean, and we ended up getting well over 100 women of color to respond to this survey. Um, and I always say, if you can get 50 to 100 people to respond to a survey, like you can feel good, particularly if they're 50 to 100 people target in your audience. actual target demographic. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, that's important. Um, that you can feel good about the sorts of insights that you're getting. It's not absolute, right? But you can feel good directionally about the sorts of insights that you're getting from that survey. Um, and, and we did that without really spending a dime. Now, what we did offer was, you know, that we'd pick one person at the end of the survey to get a $25 Sephora gift card. So yeah, we spent $25 on a Sephora gift card. Um, but we use that survey in every pitch deck okay, <laughs> that we ever made basically that first year in, in business. Um, and people trusted it because like these investors, when was the last time they talked to a hundred women mm -hmm, of color? Never. Mm -hmm. 
right? Like I actually have insights from a hundred women of color. You've probably in your lifetime spoken <laughs> three. So <laughs> right now I'm looking pretty good, yeah. right? My data's looking pretty good compared to your non-existent data. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it doesn't have to be so broad. It can be really simple. Use the networks you have, use the free resources that are out there, but one way or another, get in front of your audience and start getting meaningful insights. That's right. Okay, so once you've figured out who your customer is, their pain points, you understand who your competitors are, how they position themselves in a marketplace. The second step you really want to start thinking about, how do you want to focus your brand and what's the personality of your brand? I think that it's so often where you're like, okay, so you say that you're a fashion brand, who's your target audience? And people say like, oh, I'm going after all women. It's like, well, you can't be everything to everyone, you know, are you, you know, are you working Mm -hmm. on making professional workwear? Are you working on, you know, creating um, like lingerie? Are you working on sneakers? Like what? And they're like, oh, I want to do all of it. And it's like, I love that ambition. Like, I love how inspired and hungry, how big you're thinking, but you have to start really focused and have to be known for something and then you can expand. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think um, this idea of like refining your focus and refining your business idea is another thing I I find myself saying a lot to entrepreneurs, you know, you don't want to boil the ocean and you don't have to start with a million different skews or a million different um, pieces to, to, to this puzzle that you're solving. And I often say, you know, what you really want to focus in on is like, what's the most salient problem that you're solving, right? Like maybe the eventual product will solve all sorts of problems, but like today for you or for your consumer that you've now spoken to, um, and you've now surveyed, like what's the most salient of their problem? If you can focus in there, chances are like you're going to find a really, really loyal customer who will then go with you when you start expanding to, to other products or other services. But like focus in on like really nailing the thing that's, that's tough for them right now. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. And then, you know, once you start to have like a general idea of that salient problem and how you plan on solving it, you want to start thinking about your positioning statement. And I just found this online, but I thought it was spot on. Um, it should go something like this. We offer fill in your product or service for fill in your target market to fill in your value proposition. Now, next thing is you want to talk about how you're different from your competitors. So the second sentence would sound something like, unlike the alternative, we fill in blank key differentiators. So I did this exercise for Party Dash because I thought we could use us as an example. Um, So we offer sustainable and stylish party boxes for for parents to conveniently create celebrations they're proud of. Unlike Party City, over 80% of Party Dash products are recyclable or compostable. So, you know, it's like, you know who I'm for. Because initially I was like, I'm going to do stuff for bachelorette parties. I'm going to do stuff for um, bridal shower. I had this laundry list of all this stuff I wanted to launch with. And I was like, there's no way. There's no way I can do this well. Let me pick the person, the customer that has the biggest pain point. 
And for us, it was parents are super busy. They have a million things going on. And kids' birthday parties happen every single year. It's not like a baby, a baby shower or bridal shower that happens, you know. Well, for bridal showers and bachelorettes, hopefully they only happen once in a lifetime. But, like, you know, <laughs> with bridal baby showers, maybe a few times in your life. But the kids' birthday party, that's every year, right? And it, it always mm-hmm. causes mm-hmm. some angst. So we decided, okay, let's, again, go back to the, 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 the key point here is focus. For us, we're going to focus in on parents. So we know how to communicate with them and do some of the next steps we're going to talk about when it comes to our branding. Yeah, I think that's great. And, and a really great example, using the party dash example, I think, um, you know, being really clear about what the product is and who it's for and why it's different. That's half the battle right mm-hmm. there, you know, in terms of creating a brand. That's right. That's right. Okay, cool. So you know who your customer and your competitors are. You figured out your position in the marketplace. Now it's time to choose your business name. Uh, I found this really, I thought it was a funny quote. It says, a rose by any other name would still smell as sweet, but Nike by another name would never be seen, would be seen on fewer feet. Doggone it. I messed it up. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? You know, and the point, <laughs> the point of this fake Dr. Seuss quote is essentially like, you know, for some things like a rose, people will still love it. It will still have a fragrance that people will talk about. But for certain brands, their name are so iconic. And I wonder if Nike, instead it was called a shoe company, if it would be such a cool brand, a name, right? And if they would yeah. become so massive. So there is something to a name. Uh, I think Minted's name is so cool. I'd love for you to share the story on kind of like uh, the history or how you got to your name. Yeah, well, it it was um, an exercise <laughs> and it was a headache. And we we went through so many different names and tried, we tried combining like our names, like maybe we'll call it like Kristen <laughs> Amanda <laughs> Cosmetics, you know, like where we put our middle names together, Maria and Elaine, like Maria Elaine Cosmetics. And then um, I don't know. At one at one point, we called it Tinted Cosmetics, which is funny because there's a brand now called Live Tinted. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I didn't like Tinted. Like we kept saying it, and it felt really tough to me. And there are like people branding experts who will talk about like hard consonants, like being careful careful about how you use hard consonants because that can trip people up sometimes. And anyway, I remember after all of this angst, many many weeks going back and forth, what should we do? I said to Amanda, I was like. We keep talking about how pigmented we want these products to be. It was like, so what if we just said minted, like pigmented? And she was just like, that's it. Write it down. Get the URL. <laughs> like, you, like, you, like, we got it. And, you know, and we did. And we quickly looked and it's like, okay, mintedcosmetics.com is available. Like trademark looks available. Like go, 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 go. So yeah, it was, there was a lot of back and forth, but ultimately it came down to us coming back to like, well, what do we keep talking about? We keep saying we want to create fully pigmented products for women of color. And, you know, lo and behold, that's how we came up with the name. I love that story. So I actually, before uh, KJ and I recorded this podcast, um, KJ was having a live interview on Instagram with Oprah's Magazine. And that was one of the big questions. People were like, I love the name Minted. How'd you come with it? You know, come up with it. 
And it, you know, it has now become like an iconic name and the story has even more meaning to it, you know, because why I love it so much is like, uh, let's see. I think if the business was called KJ and Amanda, it still would have been a successful business. I do believe that, but the business feels like it's more about you versus hearing pigmented and hearing that story. It feels like it's about us and it's solving the problem. And so for me, that's why I like it even more, you know, it's bigger than just a founder. It is, it's about solving this universal woman of color issue and having a highly pigmented product. So, um, Yes. Well, thank you. I appreciate Absolutely. that. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and you know, it's really, for me, I like stayed up so many late nights trying to think about a business name and it's because it has so much impact, right? On your logo, on the domain, how people feel about you, going back to that feeling piece, um, how you market yourself, et cetera. And so when you're coming up with a name, I do believe that this should not be done in isolation. I think that, again, surveys are a good way to go. I think conversations, uh, focus groups of close people in your, your network. Um, I ran, you know, multiple names by KJ before I landed on Party Dash. <laughs> yes, I do remember. <laughs> and I had some friends who were like, damn it, just pick a name already. <laughs> but, you know, it's one of those things where, like, that is now your name. I, I think that now that you're about to become a mother, KJ, and you're thinking, I don't know if you've decided on a name, but and like um, I just hear all the time, my, my friends who are thinking about naming their kids, they go through a lot of stress and anxiety because this is how they're going to be known every single day for the rest of their lives, right? And so you're giving birth to a business. And so it is important um, to just your brand and your brand identity. Yeah. And I think like it is, I think like you ran names by a lot of people and that was a part of your process. And I think that's a perfectly good part of the process. Amanda and I certainly did as well, you know, like, but I also think I've seen people sort of get so caught up in the name game yeah. that they never launch because they're, they just like, can't, they just cannot settle in on a name. So at a certain point, I do think it's important to recognize that like, it's unlikely your business is going to live or die because of the name, unless you pick like, I mean, a seriously stupid, <laughs> stupid name, <laughs> you know, like, but you do want to give it some real thought for sure. And, and you want it to be meaningful because people are going to ask you, well, why'd you call yeah. it that? And you want to be able to say like, I called it this because, and then you want to be able to fill in the blank with an answer that like, you know, feels inspirational, feels motivational, all, all those That's things. That's so good. You know, I think I'm thinking about one end of the extreme, which is I've seen people pick names without much thought, you know, like, you know, I won't call anyone out, but like, I've seen like the shoe company, you know, it's like, well, like, mm -hmm. did you try there? You know what I mean? Like at all? Or like, you know, like the wig hair company. And it's like, like, that's usually what I expect from, right. like, Chinese manufacturers who are trying to get off on people and sell things here, <laughs> you know, like, very little thought. But you're right. There are some people who get paralyzed because they, they like, just can't come up with the, air quotes inserted here, perfect name. And the thing is, mm -hmm. like, there are successful businesses that land on a name and change it later. We've talked about our classmates uh, who started a company. Early exactly. Nerd. They started a company called mm -hmm. Hourly Nerd. And, you know, it's a company that allows you to hire, uh, like, consultants on demand is the best way I would describe it. 
And after a few years, they realized that they they wanted to grow out of that name that was more for like SMBs and go more enterprise. And they changed their name to Kenilamp. Um, and you know what? They're doing just fine. They're a multi-million dollar business that continues to be on an exponential growth path. So it, I completely agree with KJ. Like it is not the end of the world. Um, I think it's best though not to be on either extremes. Don't spin your wheels where you just don't get started, but also don't treat it so flippant that there's no thought in it. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right. So now you have your name, Party Dash, Minted Cosmetic, and whatever your brand is. And the next step that experts recommend, and I'm curious in your thought here, is to write a slogan. I actually don't think it's really important to have a slogan unless you're a big brand. Uh, We have one, but again, it was just something that I would say all the time when I was describing our brand, which is we're obsessed with happy memories. And we're like, okay, let's go with that. Like, it wasn't something that we stressed about. How how do you think about slogans, uh, especially for early Mm -hmm. stage startups? Yeah, you know, it's funny. And when I was thinking about this, I was trying to think through, like, did we have a slogan when we first launched? And what's interesting is we did, and we've almost never referred to it. Oh, that's so funny. Okay. What What we did create, though, at the same time, um, that I, it, I, it's like, we never called it a slogan. I'm trying to think about what we call it. So, so what we say, this is something that we, we started saying at the very beginning is everyone, we, we used to say every woman, now we try to be more inclusive. Everyone should be able to find themselves in the world mm-hmm. of beauty. And we started saying that in the beginning, the very beginning. And it's, it, we didn't call it a mm-hmm. slogan, we almost, what it, it was more of like a mission statement, more of like a driving sort of like internal mantra mm-hmm. almost, if that makes sense. I don't, I don't, I don't even know if we gave it a name, but we did come up with this idea that we wanted everyone to be able to find themselves in the world of beauty because we had felt left out yeah. for so long. And so, you know, four years later, we still say that everyone should be able to find themselves in the world of beauty or find yourself in the world of beauty. We still say that, but we don't say, I think what we said our slogan was find your shade, write your story. Uh, And with the idea being that like you get to write your own beauty story and you can find the shades that you need with minted, you know, and it's, it's still, it's, it's beautiful. Find your shade, write your story. Fine. We just, it's not something that like we splash all over the website. Um, If anything, now we say pigment is Mm -hmm. our passion. That's probably more of a slogan. Um, But yeah, I, in the beginning, I think it was more important for us to find like a tent pole, a mantra, something that we could feel really good about. And if someone asked us, you know, you know, what we stood for, something we could say, but not so much a slogan that we felt like, you know, we need to splash on the walls and, you know, put on a flag or something like that. I don't know. I don't know if I'm explaining that well, but it's almost like it was a slogan, but it was an internal slogan. It wasn't external really. Yeah, no, I completely get you on that. And that's why I don't believe slogans are critical for startups as they're getting going. There's just a million things that you need to get done. I think what's way more important is clearly articulating your value proposition to your ideal customer um, and doing it in a way where like, they can essentially regurgitate who you are and what you offer within one or two sentences. If you're doing that, you're building a pretty decent brand, assuming that it's aligned with what you actually offer and how you want them to feel. Not the slogan. Yeah. yeah. Cool. 
All right. So you can or can't have a slogan. Again, I think that it, what happened to both KJ and I sounds like is something we would say all the time within our respective companies that organically became our slogans. So, you know, once you get big and you have like hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to spend on a slogan, fine, do that, you know, but um, there's bigger fish to fry, as my sister Nadia likes to say. Okay, so now we're getting to the fun part which is choosing the look and feel of the brand, the colors and fonts. This is what people usually think about when they're thinking about like, how do I build a brand? But if you notice, if you're doing this properly, there's four steps in place before you actually get here, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So now we're talking about the look and feel. Um, How did you guys think about like your color choice, your fonts, like, what kind of emotions did you want to evoke? How did you go through the, and what was your process look like? Yeah, well, I remember this well, because we've gotten a lot of flack over the years for some of our design decisions, because you'll recall this, in the last five years, there's really been a design aesthetic, I would say, for startups, like so many websites of the big um, startups that have launched, particularly in consumer, like, Casper and Warby and Glossier and, you know, these big temple brands now kind of had similar sort of aesthetics in terms of like the logo and the color choices and the font choices and the website design choices. And, and if you were like, not that, then, you know, investors were sort of like, so then wait, what, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, and I remember when we would show people our products, which are, you know, we, we said in the beginning, we wanted to feel timeless. We wanted our products to feel timeless, classic every day. We didn't want them to feel trendy. We didn't want them to feel of the moment. We wanted people to feel like our products, you could pull them out when you were 20 years old and when you were 40 years old and when you were 60 years old and, you know, that our brand would live on much, much Mm -hmm. longer than us. Um, And so for us, that meant a few things. We said, look, we think black packaging for our products makes sense because like black Mm -hmm. is timeless and it's luxe we said you know we want our logo to be um originally it was white we eventually changed it to gold because we wanted it again to feel luxe to feel timeless to feel classic when everyone else every other brand that was launching particularly in like the beauty personal space was like pink Uh and green Uh and white and like these either pastels or very, very bright colors. And, and people were just sort of looking at us like, wait, I don't get it. You know, like, why would you? And it's not because we don't like color. I mean, we've certainly, we've branched out and done a few more things that are a bit more colorful, but like, if you look at our base products, like our lipstick, our blush, our foundation, it's mm-hmm. black and gold. And that's because we very purposefully said, we want to be timeless. We want to be classic. Yeah. We want to be luxe. And for us, it evokes, these are the colors and the fonts that evoke that so it was very thoughtful and very purposeful but I remember people even to this day investors being like well I don't want to I don't want to shit on anyone's brand but there's another (laughs) brand that's like very very um Mm -hmm. colorful and like just like in your face like Mm -hmm. (laughs) and people would bring up that brand and be like well I don't understand because their brand is more like this and it's like yes that's their brand and like and that works for their brand but we're not trying to sell people like popsicles mm-hmm. and dreams we're trying to sell people you know everyday right. beauty that works whether you're 
19 or That's 59 right. yeah and like and if you are 59 chances are you don't want like popsicle dream right. lipstick you know right. <laughs> so I think like it's just um it was very thoughtful and and we still feel really good about the decisions we've made um but we definitely got yeah. pushed back on it and you know I love this because it goes back to the beginning of the conversation in steps one and two research your target audience and competitors. So if everyone's doing pink, you pink, 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 and you put out a pink package, guess what? You're just another pink package. But every, everyone else is doing pink and all of a sudden you bring out something black. Hmm, what's this? Automatically, I'm going to be gravitating towards that color because it stands out and it's different. And the other thing that we talked about was like picking your focus and your personality. Like you have a personality, an avatar, a target consumer that's in your mind. And if you know that person deeply, then you know what that person likes and dislikes. And you could use that in choosing the right colors and topography that's going to resonate with that person. Now, for us with Party Dash, our adjectives were bold, happy, and fun. Those were the three adjectives on day one when I was writing down, like, what do I want people to feel, you know, when they see our branding? And so our primary color is yellow. You know, if you take a look at any color studies or color emotions guides, yellow is associated with like uh, friendly, optimism, bubbly, um, warmth, everything that we wanted people to feel, you know, happy with our brand. And so we were like, well, I don't think we have a choice. (laughs) We have to be yellow. And our secondary and tertiary colors were blue and pink because we also wanted to feel like because we were kids that it was like gender in- inclusive, right? Um, and so mm-hmm. like, we're like, okay, this totally makes sense. And because we wanted to, again, have boldness in our brand, our letters weren't gonna be cursive, you know, like elegant cursive, you know, it was gonna be big block letters um, that represented that. And so again, like if you visit um, party-.com, you'll see like, it, the worst people, I get emails all the time like, man, I visited your website and it just made me happy. I'm always like, well, did you buy something? But <laughs> <laughs> Nonetheless, I love those emails and those notes because I'm like, okay, well, we, it, when we're talking about branding, it did exactly what we set out to do. Like happy is the number one word we want to hear from people when they're visiting our site or interacting with our brand. So what is that emotion you want people to feel when they interact with your brand and when you aren't around? What do you want them to say about your brand when you aren't around? Well, your letter choice, that's what topography means, and your colors and your word choice, all that should be congruent with that objective. Yeah, completely agree. And I completely agree with whoever said that about your site. Like when you said that I came to your site, I was like, I haven't been to uh, tap the site in a little minute. Let me go. And you know what? It does immediately make you you. happy. It really does. (laughs) It's just like the, the yellow, the pink and, and like the clouds and the unicorns and the horse. I mean, it's just like, how can you not be happy? So I completely agree. And you guys are absolutely pulling off exactly what you said you wanted, you know, bold happy like that is what you get when you come to your site I appreciate that so mission accomplished there um so yes we've talked about the colors and the look and feel of the brand and now that you know your colors and your font now is the time to build your logo 
So again, this is a step where I'm like, people are like, okay, I need a logo. I'm gonna go to Fiverr, Upwork and hire someone to do this. I'm like, what is your colors? What's your topography? Like, what do you, how do you want people to feel? Oh, you haven't done all that? You're not ready to build a logo, right? So right. Um, when it comes to logos, I've seen the gamut. I'll, I'll share a story about um, Danielle Leslie. Um, she's built a 10 figure business you know, in about four or five years, in a very short period of time, um, I respect her so much as an entrepreneur. And I know she's said a number of times when she got started, she literally just went to Canva, the free version, mm-hmm. had a background of gold, font of white, because she knew that was her color. And she put it in Canva, downloaded five, 10 minutes later. And that has been her logo that got her to a seven figure business. So I wanted to share that story because so many people feel like, oh, I need a, I need a perfect logo, air quotes, perfect logo. And they go out and spend so like, again, so many months, so much money trying to figure that out. And that's not what's going to drive customers in, you know, like, do you have a great product, a great story? Do you have something that's really going to solve a pain point? Now, I do understand that if you have a commodity business and you're trying to build a lifestyle brand, that stuff matters more. Um, but I just want to share that story because you don't need 100000 You don't even need $1,000 to build a logo that can turn your business into a seven-figure, multi-million-dollar business. Amen to that. And let me just tell y'all, I'll get hot if I talk about this for too long. So <laughs> because... <laughs> You know, we we worked with a design team on our original branding. They did a good job. Then we raised our seed round. And one of the things that investors love to have you do when you raise any sort of money is they want to be involved in the rebrand. That That's what they feel like their value add is. Okay. So we immediately did a rebrand and it was literally written into our documents. Like you guys have to do a rebrand. And we're like, okay, we, you know, we kind of like their branding, but okay. And so we did this rebrand. And if you look at our old packaging, like our old logo and our new logo, most people cannot tell it apart. It, I mean, the main difference is that it went from white to gold. The font changed slightly. And the reason why is because we liked what we did. Okay? Mm-hmm. Right. But the difference between the old and the lo- new logo in terms of price was, I mean, I'm not even going to say the number out loud to you here on this podcast, <laughs> but it was big. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I get like kind of mad when I think about it because like it didn't need, we didn't need to spend what we spent, but that's like what people did like in the startup world. Like, oh, you raise some money and then you hire a design firm and then you spend X amount of dollars for them to like make the same logo essentially (laughs) it's you know and we just it just it didn't need to be that way it kind of had to be because like we we signed the dotted line and said we would do this big rebrand or whatever but it didn't need to be that way like and so if you can save money on a logo please take advice from me and do (laughs) yeah I mean what you're saying I've heard that story literally like more times than I can count like I have a group of girlfriends, they've all raised, you know, a couple million dollars for their startups. And similarly, because they're consumer type of businesses, that's the expectation. One for her branding and website. I'm like, should I be saying these numbers? Or like, let's, you don't know who they are. So, you know, they're spending around 150 to $200,000. I'm not yeah. yet. 150 to $200,000 for the stuff we just talked about today, guys. 
like yeah. the colors, the topography, building out the website, like, and it's on Shopify. This is not from the ground up. This is a Shopify website with those colors, <laughs> writing the copy on there, $200,000. So yep. what I'm saying is if you want to be a scrappy entrepreneur, let me tell you, you don't need to do that to make nope. a multi-million dollar business. Trust me. Yes. Please, please, please know you do not need to spend anybody's hundred thousand dollars to get you <laughs> to get your little logo and your little branding <laughs> together. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Now, you do not. You know, maybe you have you don't have a good design eye. Like my sister would be the first one to tell you that she does not know design. Like she's an actress, she's a creative, she can she can write stories and scripts and direct all day, but she can't go on Canva and make something pretty. That is not her gift to the planet. And so if you're one of those people, go to Fiverr, go to Upwork pay your 50 bucks or whatever it is and get you a logo and keep it moving build that business <laughs> mm-hmm. i'm just cracking up when you said not her gift to the planet <laughs> it's not it's not it's not she knows it i love her but it's not <laughs> okay do we have any more tips for the people i think the last thing i'll share there is like once you figure out your brand It is now your responsibility to apply that brand across every element of your business, your social media, your website, your inserts, your packaging, your product, everything should be consistent. So you shouldn't be having one font here, another font here, different colors, this and there. That's the point of building a brand. So if you're going to do it yourself, you may not know that that's how you're supposed to do it. Your ebook, whatever it might be, it should all feel consistent so they know when someone puts out an ebook, that is a Sally ebook, you know, or this is a minted page, or this is a party dash Instagram um, page, whatever the case might be, just make sure it's consistent across the way because that's what a brand is. Yep. Well, I completely agree. Nice. Well, guys, that's it for this week. I told you we had so much gems and content for you guys this week. I really hope you're loving it and got some value. If so, we will love it if you would just take a moment of your time to give us a five-star rating and tell a friend, hey, it's free. It's free to show us some love. Absolutely. And if you've got a topic you'd love for us to dive into, just send us an email at windownbuildup at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time.